hey, so I know you're here because you want to hear my thoughts on uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Understandably so. We'll get to that at some point. But before I talk about movies, I want to talk about real life. I want to talk about what's going on in Texas. I want to talk about the pandemic that we're still in, even though people are acting like we aren't in it. Um, I want to talk about, you know, being in this post-George Floyd America, being in this post-Capital America. And what I'm starting to realize is that our politics aren't enough. The politics of working class people, the politics of black people just aren't enough. And what I mean is that we're, we've seen what's happened to black people at the hands of police. Like we saw what happened on January 6th at the Capitol. And it just feels like that everything is just still business as usual. And it's not enough. I think back to November and I think about the vibe being, hey, you know, we got to get Trump out of office, not understanding or not really looking at who we were putting in office or what entities we were putting in office. Like what Biden is doing is surprising. And that's the problem. Um, I know for myself, I didn't vote for Biden and Trump because I knew that neither one of those individuals had a politics that was going to serve working class people that was going to serve black people. Like by all accounts at this point, with everything that's happened, there should be a profound response. Like, and I do think that folks are tired. I do think that folks are angry. It's just that folks don't know how to fight. The truth is this, like at this point, electoral politics aren't enough. And that's where like these movies come in, because I think when people watch a movie like, you know, Malcolm X or Judas and the Black Messiah, like they don't just want to be entertained by the movie. They want to be informed like they want to learn something. But here's the thing. If you're counting on Hollywood to teach you, if you're counting on a capitalist and propaganda system to teach you, you've already sealed your own fate. Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country, and to be um, relatively conscious, is to be in a state of rage, almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. Live with the People Station, man, the People's Radio is making a difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. So glad you guys are checking in. I hope this message finds you well uh, in the midst of this pandemic, man. It's so crazy out here. Um, we're approaching half a million Americans dead from COVID-19 and from the profound lack of, an of a response by the American government. There is so much that could be done that hasn't been done. And it's clear at this point that uh, the American government uh, is serving corporate interests uh, not just over uh, the uh, interests and concerns of the American people, but um, in spite of. So it's it's clear that they're going to serve them and not serve us at all. And there being a clear um, oppo uh, opposing interest there or uh, opposing forces there. With that said, you guys are here to uh, hear me talk about uh, Judas and the Black Messiah and that movie. And I will do so. I will do so, like I said, within the context of just everything that's going on in this country and going on in the world. Um, I obviously saw the movie. I would encourage um, everyone to go see the movie uh, with the hopes that once you watch the movie, you will be encouraged. And I'll just I'll leave it at that word, encouraged to uh, want to read more and learn more um, about Fred Hampton, uh, the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. And that title 
uh, is obviously by design because it's talking about uh, William O'Neill, this, this story, the, the way that uh, it was presented, uh, clearly prioritized uh, the story of William O'Neill, who was the FBI informant um, who would drop dime, rat out, um, whatever uh, terminology you want to use, um, sold out Fred Hampton. And Lakeith Stansfield played that role well, um, played it so well, in fact, that um, the brother had to seek therapy um, after doing so. And I think it's important to understand why that's an important commentary to make and why that's important to know about, not just because of the general uh, collective uh, concern about mental health in this country, but as it relates to this role, um, the way that Lakeith played that role added a level to uh, added a level of conscientiousness and concern and um, ambivalence to O'Neill that, quite frankly, is not is not there with the actual person. Um, if you get a chance to, and I would, like I said, highly encourage. I'm going to highly encourage a number of just different sources and um, perspectives for everybody to check out as um, a complement or supplement to um, the movie and to this podcast. Uh, Eyes on the Prize 2. It's an hour-long interview um, that uh, that was Eyes on the Prize did with William O'Neill that uh, is mandatory. And I think if you listen to that interview, you will hear um, a man who was very deliberate and um, his feelings toward the Panthers and um, why he did what he did. Um, Lakeith played that role in a way where it kind of made you almost feel uh, empathetic for the character. Almost, almost. But this movie was essentially about a snitch. And that is, of course, part of the problem. Because when you have the opportunity to talk about a Fred Hampton, um, as dynamic as he is, as dynamic as his ideologies are, and you choose to make that story about um, the... FBI perspective, no matter how much of the human interest piece you throw in there with, obviously Fred Hampton's wife um, or significant other being pregnant, um, all of these different things that you you try to introduce. Ultimately, it's about um, the influence of the police and how they infiltrated the Black Panthers and the story, um, not just the story, but the ideology of Fred Hampton and of the Black Panthers is so much more dynamic than this movie. And at some point, um, and right now, the only the, the closest you can get to really having an understanding and um, gaining information and, and equipment um, to deal with the world and to really see this country for what it really is, is that you got to read about it. Um, I'm actually uh, getting as soon as I'm done with this podcast, I've been meaning to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to order uh, the assassination of Fred Hampton. It's a book um, actually that I first heard about from No Names Book Club. Um, if you're all not familiar with No Name, uh, No Name's actually a, a rapper out of Chicago, a young lady who is not only a dope rapper, but has chosen to empower herself in a way um, that is profound because she said, hey, I'm reading these books because I want to learn more about the world around me. I want to learn more about politics and black politics and radical politics. And she's bringing people along for the ride. And I think that's just something that is so dope. But I want to make a uh, the, the early portion of this conversation, I want to make it about Fred Hampton um, and about who Fred Hampton um, was, about what Fred Hampton represents. And quite frankly, about what a lot of um, our black leaders and icons represent um, the ones that that we idolize, the ones that we uphold. When we talk about Fred Hampton, Malcolm X, um, Martin Luther King, 
you have to understand that each of these men that I'm talking about, and I'm talking about them um, by design, because we are these are the, the gentlemen that we do uphold as these types of messiahs. You have to understand that they're all anti-capitalist. So what does that mean within the context of our current politics? And it's actually very simple. These men identify identified with working class people. And when you look at the history of America and you understand um, how wealth has been not only distributed, but how wealth has been stolen and taken away. When you talk about the working class, when you talk about um, not only just the working class, when you talk about poor people, um, a lot of what you see in terms of uh, economic, the economically disadvantaged, um, you also see in terms of race. And so once these gentlemen um, made the correlation to understand that as much as we talk about um, race, we have to also talk about uh, class distinctions. You start to feel a certain type of way about capitalism and rightfully so um, in terms of Hampton. Hampton was a Marxist Leninist. Um, I want to talk to you guys very briefly. Like I said, I'm not going to get too deep into this thing, but I think once I explain it, you'll understand why some of these ideologies were kept out of the movie and why I just think in terms of when we talk about, you know, these ideas and concepts like black history, you'll understand why uh, folks are intentionally kept in the dark a lot about a lot of this stuff. Um, in terms of just uh, Marxist, Leninist, uh, communist and socialist, po well, communist politics specifically here. Uh, the core ideological features of Marxism, Leninism include the belief that a revolutionary pro proletariat class would not emerge automatically from capitalism. Instead, there was the need for a professional revolutionary vanguard party like your Black Panthers to lead the working class in the violent overthrow of capitalism to be followed by a dictatorship of the proletariat as the first stage of moving toward communism. Uh, Marxism, Leninism also maintained that workers in the most advanced capitalist countries, America, for example, had not opted for revolution because capitalism had moved to a new stage through the exportation of capital to colonies, which allowed capitalists to exploit such colonies and enrich markets and bribe workers in developed countries with higher wages. In the case of black people, you get these ideas like black capitalism, different things like that. And I know that the violent overthrow piece um, it's going to concern from people It's going to concern some people. I would like to uh, remind you of two things. I would first like to remind you of what happened on January 6th at the Capitol. Um, I'm not saying that is the answer. I am saying that is how American history works. And I would also um, also talk about the American Revolution. Um, and there's the there's this way that um, you and understand within the context of black folks at this point, like it's not that we're a, an overtly violent people. Uh, the Black Panthers were not overtly violent. The Black Panthers positioned themselves um, in the way of defending their communities. And so understanding that the Black Panthers were started by college kids. And one of the first things that they started, um, they had the uh, there were there were armed patrols and the armed patrols were in response to police brutality. They said, look, the police are conducting themselves in a way that's detrimental, detrimental to our communities. And so. We're going to step up and take on this role, not only to protect the community, but also to protect ourselves from the police. And out of this, you not only get an, an evolution of community service, you also get an evolution of ideology. Now, if you present the Black Panthers in this way, what, and if you read more about the Black Panthers, if you read more about Hampton, what you start to build and establish is a blueprint on how to deal with matters in the present day. And this is not to say that this is a 
quick fix solution for police brutality or this is a quick fix solution for um, economic disparity. But it is to say that it is a way to mobilize the community in a way where and here's the word we always use. Um, you start to mobilize and organize in a way where you start to actually hold people accountable. And you hold people accountable in a way that not only challenges people in terms of class and government, but you also challenge certain entities within your own racial communities. This is the power of a statement like all power to the people. This is the power of these individual uh, of, of these individuals. Again, when you talk about a Fred Hampton, Huey Newton, Bobby Seale, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and not to say that, you know, Martin um, necessarily subscribed to uh, the Black Panthers uh, approach, but it was a decidedly anti-capitalist approach. You're not going to get this in a movie because, again, there's a clash of interests. There's a clash of ideologies. Hollywood is unrepentantly capitalist. So it is not in Hollywood's best interest to put money behind a movie that says, you know what? Capitalism is wrong. Capitalism is bad. I think it's safe to say, looking at the history of Hollywood and looking at the history of your award shows, that Hollywood is decidedly anti-black. So again, it is not in Hollywood's um, interest to put to put um, forth not just you know strong black figures because certainly they don't mind putting the figures on the screen, but it's they put these figures on the screen in a way where they become caricatures, where they they strip the ideology away from these figures where. Now it's about an entertainment piece or it's about these familiar narratives, these ahistorical narratives that are presented in a way where it becomes about, you know, um, an, an aspiration um, or you have, you have these aspirational stories where it's like, well, hey, if they did it, you can do it, too. Or you get these tragedies where you feel this profound loss instead of using that tragedy as fuel to say, look, we want to avenge um, this individual or we want to restore uh, this ideology that this individual or individuals believed in what's particularly powerful about Fred Hampton. And this is where, uh, like I said, another place in where the movie failed him. And I, and I do understand that this movie is basically about William O'Neill. It's not about Fred Hampton. You have to understand that Fred Hampton's um, concern and love and passion and insight for community uh, was something that was quite literally with him more than half of his life. Um, you look at Fred Hampton at 10 years old, you know, was putting together, um, breakfast programs, which is something that is just unbelievable to think about. Um, you have people who are, you know, many years older, um, who've been on, the, you know, been on the earth much longer, who did not have the insight and did not have the passion that this 10 year old that you're talking about. A f I mean, just think about that for a minute, a fourth or fifth grader coming up with a breakfast program. It's remarkable and it's amazing. And so when you, um, equip this young man with not only, um, uh, just a preternatural, just like a God-given um, desire to want to serve people. And you give him this, you know, the idea, uh, ideology, a, a communist, a socialist, anti-capitalist, you know, uh, these ideologies and you equip him with those. And, you know, when you think about the times and all of these different things that are, are coming together and you come up with just this dynamic individual who was able to accomplish these, you know, these things that just uh, remarkable, just... <laughs> I, like I said, I'm, I'm really just stunned when you really just sit back and really think about it. Just the benchmarks. Um, this the things he was able to get done before puberty, you know, before becoming a teenager, before literally his, you know, before he turned 21. I mean, by the time he had turned 21, I mean, that was Fred Hampton was assassinated at 21 years old. And when you just look at all of the things that he was able to accomplish, um, 
that is a, a story that ideologically um, that uh, just in terms of his spiritually, um, emotionally, that story needs to be told. And there is a way to to tell that story. And that is part of what I want to uh, talk about with this podcast as well, uh, because in the second uh, portion of this podcast, I want to talk about just different ways that we can um, present these movies in a way that um, can inf- inform and equip people as well as entertain. Uh, it's a, obviously a, a passion of mine that even as I present things with making a difference, you know, there's only so much information, I think, just because of the um, the way that we take in stuff, you know, is, is everything has to be instantly in. I think we just want quick fixes to everything. And sometimes you just got to sit back, um, kind of wind down and just take stuff in and just start to build. Um, the pandemic, one might have thought would have been an opportunity to kind of teach us all to slow down. Um, but I think, you know, I don't think I know, man. A lot of us are just so desperate to get back to normal, whatever normal is. And I don't want that because normal wasn't good. Um, normal wasn't. You know, uh, it wasn't empowering for black folks. It wasn't empowering for working class people. And so one of the, my hopes and concerns that I sought coming out, you know, as the pandemic went on, was that there would be an opportunity for a radical change in the way we did government, radical change in local politics, radical change in, you know, in schools and and how we teach our children. That's not happened. Uh, what we've had is we've had people double down on, on normal and we got to push back on that. I'll say this about the movie before we go to break, because I think people ultimately just want kind of a movie review and assessment of what I thought about the movie. Um, In terms of the movie, I mean, in terms of just the function, uh, visually, uh, roles played, you know, I thought, you know, everybody did a good job. I thought the the movie was, you know, visually enticing. Um, You could tell that that there was attention paid to detail. Um, Ultimately, I just think the movie is going to be defined by the fact that um, there was a decision that was made like I said, by Hollywood, uh, by the directors to make this about William O'Neill. And with all of this production and everything that was brought together, it would have been nice to see the movie be about Fred Hampton. Um, If you had to introduce parties that may have been more knowledgeable about his ideology, about the Black Panthers, then you should have done that. Um, That is an opportunity that was missed. In my opinion, it was an unforgivable um, opportunity that was missed. Because we're in this age where I'm not going to say that we're hypersensitive um, to certain issues, because I will say for the most part, when I talk about and I spoke about this at the beginning of the podcast, being in this post George Floyd America, it's really hard at this point to differentiate between how uh, uh, race was addressed before his death. And now, you know, we're sitting up here not even a year after his death. Um, it's just it's it's disappointing um, the way in which. Uh, We haven't held uh, particularly government entities accountable. And I think that was part of the destiny of electing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to office is that in the months after people demanded um, that, you know, that we defund the police, um, there was this anti-police sentiment. You elected the architect of the crime bill and you elected, um, you know, his vice prosecutor to office. And so here again, it's just like with the movies we do things politically um, that create a destiny uh, for our community and for this country um, that is just moving us in the wrong direction. And it's moving us, you know, uh, toward, you know, it's it's just creating this division and this gap. And I think if you 
are just paying attention to some of the decisions that are being made by elected officials, by senators. Um, you see really just a league of sociopaths. Uh, with that said, I do want to talk about a uh, blueprint for future movies, um, revisiting uh, what uh, Dr. King and Malcolm X, you know, could and should look li- look like um, if, you know, if those type of movies were, re- were revisited. How can we uh, present iconic black figures and strong ideological black figures on screen without uh, making them look like caricatures is something we're going to talk about in the second half of this podcast. Stick with us. You're listening to Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your all-state insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. Hey, y'all, we're going to get back to the show in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about my good friends over at Quick Print Augusta. I want to tell you about some of the services they provide. They do family reunion T-shirts, political flyers, logo designs, church programs, church fans, brochures, business cards and banners. So if you need any of those things, and I'm pretty sure you do, give them a call at 706-750-9779. That's 706-750-9779. You can also shoot them an email at info at quickprintaugusta.com. Info at quickprintaugusta.com. You can also hit them up on Facebook at Quick Print Augusta. But wait, there's more. If you mention making a difference to the good folks at Quick Print Augusta, they will give you 10% off of your order. Again, if you mention MAD, making a difference, they'll give you 10% off. Enjoy the rest of the show. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man, Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Uh, As promised, I want to talk about just some of the things that can be done uh, in terms of presenting these figures um, in a movie format that I think is just something that will be empowering and insightful um, and will equip people. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, it's not enough to just gain information. Um, I think at some point the information has to be used for the betterment of society. Um, that's never been more painfully apparent than, you know, you know, as we look at the world around us and we just look at just all these various challenges that are happening. And at the same time, um, our government, local, state, federal bipartisan effort (laughs) to be clear um we are just seeing just a a sociopathic um attitude that just lacks empathy and really to me i think it just continues to attack uh the working class and the poor um and it's got to be addressed as such and particularly locally one of the concerns that i have and again as we talk about as i talk about this post-capital america i think there are just certain attitudes that in terms of race that are very disconcerting when you have um like I said, this is just something on a very small scale, like monuments. When you have people who are trying to protect like uh, white supremacist monuments and post-Civil War monuments, monuments that were raised um, with the intent of promoting and exalting, quite frankly, white supremacy. And you have a, a generation of people now, uh, decades, centuries later, honestly, who want to promote and preserve these anti-American ideals um, that has to be 
you know, that, that has to be not only addressed, but it has to be rebuked and it has to be fought against. And again, that's just something that's on a very small scale because we're dealing with economic disparity and just amazing levels of poverty, again, not only locally, statewide, um, but across this country that have not been addressed. And even as, you know, you may want to debate $2,000 $2, checks versus $1,400 checks and all these different types of things, at the end of the day, none of it is enough to address um, just the uh, awful living conditions of what some people consider to be the greatest country in the world. But we're talking about movies. So um, <laughs> I'll keep this pretty brief because to me, I think it's just, um, and I'll start with the Malcolm X movie because some people, I mean, look, I actually watched Malcolm X last night. It's a great movie. Um, Denzel obviously just embraced that role in a way where, to be honest with you, I've seen other folks try to play Malcolm X, but that picture in my mind is just a picture of Denzel Washington. Um, like I said, just really just speaks to the amazing job that he did and the job that uh, Spike Lee did. And obviously, if you ask people about that movie, some people are going to say, well, you know, there were some components that were missing uh, in terms of just his ideology and, and all these different types of things. I think when you look at the story of Malcolm X and when you look at the life of Malcolm X, uh, it breaks down, I won't say simply, I think there are just opportunities um, where you can really take a deep dive into certain portions in this life. Um, and again, when we do, when you do these movies, you can't just do them as like a two hour sit down. You got to do them as trilogies or, you know, as, as multiple part sagas, maybe five part movies, which would be great. It would allow you to really um, take a look at these, uh, these individuals and just their approaches and their ideas um, and how they see the world. Malcolm X, uh, and obviously the way that Spike Lee interpreted it, a significant portion of the movie was uh, looking at his life before prison. Um, I think if, you, if you're going to take a look at Malcolm's life before prison, I think you have to look at his upbringing. I think you have to look at his father, who was heavily influenced by Marcus Garvey. What did that mean, um, you know, for young Malcolm? Uh, obviously, you know, the autobiography is going to be a huge tool. The autobiography of Malcolm X is going to be a huge tool um, in a, a movie or media interpretation. But I just think that there's a movie that can be made that actually stops just before he gets out of prison. Um, you can take, a, like I said, a really strong look at just his young life. Um, I think that less attention can be paid to uh, Detroit Red. Um, and more attention can be placed to again, because this is about equipping and informing. I'm um, just looking at some of the things that he studied, uh, obviously the introduction, um, to the nation of Islam. And I think that would be, uh, part one of a three part movie. Obviously the second part of that movie, uh, is really going to come out strong because you're going to have a young man who, you know, is just getting out of prison, uh, who, you know, becomes a minister. And there's this, obviously this buildup. Um, that you see in terms of him becoming a national figure. Um, I think you can take that second part up to uh, before, you know, he goes to Mecca. And so the third part of that movie um, obviously would be um, him leaving Mecca and not only founding um, the MMI, uh, the Muslim Mosque Incorporated, and also the Pan-African Organization of Afro-American Afro Unity. If you ask me, the MMI piece and the Pan-African piece is something that is grossly 
um, underreported and underanalyzed when you look at the life of Malcolm X, because so much of his life obviously is about, you know, the by enemies necessary Malcolm, if you will. But you have to understand that at some point there was an evolution between Malcolm's concerns in terms of racial justice. And it became something that was not only more economic based, but I think it was just something that was more conscientious in the way of just black life. And we don't talk about that with Malcolm nearly enough. Uh, obviously, when it comes to Malcolm, we talk about, you know, by any means necessary. You got the picture of the gun by the window, the fallout with the Nation of Islam. But Malcolm was so much more of a dynamic figure than that. And again, once you make the commitment as a director or as a movie maker to say, look, we're going to take a deep dive into Malcolm. We want you to understand Malcolm the man. We want you to understand how his ideologies affected now, you know, not only affected um, his operations, but affected the people around him. Why? Why was this? Why is this man seen as such an icon? I think when you look at that with a person like Malcolm X, I think you end up challenging a lot of things um, as it relates to black people. You end up you end up challenging our approach to religion, to organized religion, because what happened with Malcolm is, is that he became disillusioned, uh, not so much with the faith or with Islam. He became disillusioned with the nation of Islam, or I, sh- I should say with the, he didn't become disillusioned with the Islamic faith. If anything, his uh, disillusionment and eventual separation from the nation of Islam um, actually uh, increased and improved the quality of his faith, of his Islamic faith. And combined with his passion for black people, we saw where he um, collaborated and partnered with uh, individuals who sought racial justice, who were of and sought economic justice, who were of a different faith. And to me, that's where you start seeing these coalitions um, that once you start, you know, crossing the lines of religion, once you start crossing the lines of race and you start creating these, like I said, just uh, multicultural groups, that's when you start to see um, the government um, interference and you start getting these um uh, understand what what has happened historically. You know, when we talk about communism and socialism, understand that uh, when you look at Red Scare, calling, uh, you know, Martin Luther King was called a communist. Uh, Malcolm X, you know, these individuals were called communists to scare people. My response and what I am going to say to you in this moment on this podcast is that if you don't understand communism, if you don't understand socialism, you can certainly message me. Um, I would encourage you to look it up for yourself. Just look up the basic definitions of communism as working class people. <laughs> we really should be looking more into these ideologies, understanding the important, you know, when you say what does owning the means of production mean, you know, you know, working at different jobs and uh the the return on investment that you're getting for working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, um, the type of rights that you have, um, the type of, like I said, just understanding the relationship between labor and management, all of these different things, all of these all of these things are associated with political ideologies. And so a lot of our views on the world and on work um, have been um, kind of we've been brainwashed in a way by just American propaganda. And there are some things that need to be broken, particularly as black people. Here's what you got to understand as a black person living in America, understand what our legacy and our heritage is. We built this country period. There's no dispute in that. And there's an unpaid invoice. That's where the reparations piece comes in. But when you look at us building a country against our will, being promised after an extended period of time that, Hey, you know, the 40 acres and a mule piece, 
to have that promise not only broken, but to have an installation of a system in Jim Crow where you continue to oppress people and you steal land and you pillage and you kill and you do the same things that you were doing in slavery, that you were doing in Reconstruction. And you continue these things again. Um, we meet Fred Hampton, Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X. We meet these individuals in the 50s and the 60s and understand what happened after these individuals were um, eliminated was that you have the war on drugs and you have um, these notions that are introduced, you know, uh, Nixon introducing black capitalism. You don't respond to um, the push for social, racial and economic justice by saying, hey, we're going to give you a job and that's going to make everything better. No, clearly it hasn't because you can strip jobs away. You can strip the rights on the jobs away. You can um, obviously inflation can go up and wages not go up. There are ways that you can um, introduce and enforce slavery, even within the context of giving a person a job within giving, hey, we're going to make this guy over here a millionaire or a billionaire. But there are going to be hundreds of thousands of more people who, you know, are oppressed. So these are ideas that you, we have to constantly think about. I know I'm talking about a lot of different things within this podcast, but I, I feel like that is making sense. And that I think, you know, when I'm kind of veering off, I think it's just adding something to the discussion in a way that really just I hope um, is, you know, really uh, helping you understand just how urgent this moment is and how urgent it's always been, quite frankly, as it relates to African-Americans. We're going to go ahead and take a break here. And since I mentioned no name earlier in the podcast, it's a perfect time to play. A couple of tracks from her. I'll be playing Black Exploitation as well as Song 33 back to back. Uh, there is some profanity. So if you want to skip ahead to the 39 minute mark, it's totally understandable. With that being said, enjoy the music and come back for the final segment of Making a Difference. What happened to my $100, Joe? Nigga, did you take my money? <laughs> That's right, little bitch. Watermelon trader hoodie for hipster infatuated the minstrel. When we cool, they cool. We die as cool. We super fly indigenous. I hop to the moon. We brought the movie to America. It's still coming soon. Do you hear me, man? Do you understand? I am black. I'm a nigga. Do you understand me? I was born black. I live black. And I'm gonna die probably because I'm black. Because some cracker that knows I'm black.
I saw a demon on my shoulders looking like patriarchy Like scrubbing blood off the ceiling and bleaching another carpet How my house get on it? Why toy and body don't embody all the life she wanted? The baby just 19, I know I dream all black I seen her everything, immortalizing tweets, all caps They said they found her dead One girl missing, another one go missing one girl missing another, but niggas in the back quiet as a church mouse. Basement studio when duty calls to get the verse out. I guess the ego hurt now. It's time to go to work. Wow, look at him go. He really doubts to write about me when the world is in smokes. When it's people in trees. When George was begging for his mother, saying he couldn't breathe. He thought to write about me. One girl missing another one, go missing. One girl missing another one. Yo, but little did I know all my reading would be about There is trans women being murdered And this is all he can offer And this is all y'all receive Distract you from the convo with organizers They talking abolishing the police And this is a new world order We democratizing Amazon We find down borders This is a new vanguard This is a new vanguard I'm the new vanguard It's the West Coast Diva Tell them follow the leader It's yo, yo You're listening to Making the Difference With Ken Making This is Donald Doe and Michael Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Want to talk about what a King movie would look like? Again, upbringing is something that's going to be so important because, you know, understanding that, I mean, Dr. King's upbringing is amazing when you look at uh, his father being a pastor. Uh, when you look at, uh, I want to say that's his maternal grandfather. Um, when Dr. King um, became the pastor at Ebenezer, he was a third generation pastor. Like the story of from Dr. King's birth um, with a with reaching back of the history of Ebenezer and taking him up to, I would say, 1955, just pre Montgomery bus boycott is a story in and of itself. And it's not only a story of Dr. King, but it's a story of the black church that I think would be so amazing um, and that would look so good on screen. The second, uh, like I said, this will this will be another trilogy. Uh, the second part. Um, is basically 1955 to 1965 um, from the Montgomery bus boycott to the assassination of Malcolm X and just that 10 year period. Um, and so there would be some conflict that you would see there, obviously between Martin and Malcolm. Um, but then a conflict that by the third movie, uh, you would start to see where some of those, some of those ideological differences become similarities and there's a companionship there because I, one thing that I think is underreported and underanalyzed is the effect of Malcolm X's death on Martin Luther King, not just as a black man, not just as a man in the struggle, but also in terms of how he saw the world. And I think you see a lot of that in uh, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community. You see, you definitely see it with a lot of the anti-capitalist energy. Um, and 
again, they're understand that these individuals, these men are figures who were taken from us before the age of 40. And even as a, a man who's about to turn 38 this year, it's amazing to think that, you know, that these men had these complex views um, and impassioned views on um, the betterment of society. They had these views basically around the same age that I'm at, man. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's inspirational. Um, and it's a challenge at the same time, but there's definitely, like I said, the third, um, the first part of that Dr. King movie is going to be so much about his upbringing, um, his really just, uh, the history of his family. Um, and I think a lot of that you can tie in with the legacy of the black church. The second movie is 10 year period, which obviously is going to be deep in the civil rights movement, 1955 to 1965. There's so many different characters you can introduce, but really just looking at, um, the shaping of, of King's ideas, um, and function in relationship with the government in that way. Because again, King was someone who was spied on. King is someone who was called a communist. And then you get to 65 where Malcolm is assassinated, um, that three year period, uh, because again, King becomes decidedly anti-capitalist. He's um, engaging with, you know, Stokely Carmichael's uh, with individuals like these. He's assessing, you know, black power. What does that terminology mean? There are all these different types of things that he's looking at that he's addressing. There's working class politics, you know, where he goes down to Memphis um, and engages in that way. And at that point, really, has, you know, was starting to make the determination that, look, I might not get there with you, you know, but there are some things that I've seen and I want to share these thoughts with you before my life is taken away. Um, per, uh, sadly, prophetic. I know I went through these ideas very quickly, but I just wanted to uh, do. I really feel like I'm doing so in a concise way um, that can just really help, you know, just grow the conversation and just grow the, the way that, you know, that we look at these presentations in film. Um, I know a lot of us have come back, you know, from looking at these type of movies, uh, being disappointed that the figures, you know, haven't um, been presented in a way that just describes that that really makes them just the complex um, and fantastic figures that they are. They're really just caricatures. Um, I know that's happened with Harriet Tubman. It's happened, with, quite frankly, with a lot of black figures. Um, what I hope happens now that as we look at these movies, we do so with a critical eye. We're able to enjoy them, these movies for what they are, but also understanding that um, what we have to do at the end of the day is, is that we have to do the reading to supplement what's not being, you know, what's being withheld. I'll say it that way uh, from the Hollywood machine. And understandably so, like I said, you have to understand that a lot of the things that we look at in terms as being African-Americans, um, we're at war. Um, culturally, we're at war. There's a perpetual attack on us, a perpetual um, attempt to keep us, you know, as an underclass. And that's something that we have to fight against, not fight against, you know, with one millionaire or one billionaire. But we have to fight against as a unit, um, understanding, you know, all power to the people. That terminology, when I think about all power to the people, it hits differently for me now because I'm looking at what's happening, happening in Texas. And I'm looking at, you know, just some of the deliberate acts that the power companies are taking to literally take power away from the people. And I saw, like I said, a tweet from Cory Bush who said, you know, make utilities public, um, which is to say quite literally, you know, all power to the people. And again, it's just about me owning the means of production. It's about owning the means of of energy and really just seeing the world in a different way, because it's clear that right now the government not only controls so much, they do so um, 
not with the intent of helping the people. And we could say, well, hey, maybe we need to elect new people, but there's clearly a system at work um, that is fueling a lot of just the dangerous um, culture and the dangerous function that we're seeing now uh, with government. I know I said a bunch in a little bit of time, man, but like I said, I appreciate you guys checking in so much. Um, as always, I want to encourage you guys uh, to support uh, the podcast. Uh, when you when you support making a difference, you're not just supporting the podcast, you're supporting local politics. You're supporting the application of knowledge, which for those of us, you know, who read, who read, uh, read the word, you understand that the application of knowledge is wisdom. And so wisdom is, you know, what um, I seek and it's what I you know want to uh, share uh, with the listening audience. Uh, you can become a month to month supporter of making a difference through Patreon. It's patreon.com backslash making M A K I N a different show. Again, that's Patreon P A T R E O N.com backslash making a different show. You can give a dollar a month, $5 a month, $50 a month, whatever's on your heart and mind. Uh, you can do that. You can also do a one-time um, donation to the making a different show via cash app. Uh, it is dollar sign making a different show. That's M A K dollar sign M A K I N a difference show facebook.com backslash making a difference show is where you see most of my posts on social media i'm also over on twitter uh it's the handle is difference making would appreciate you guys uh, not only supporting in that way but just sharing the information i think at this point um for those of us who are on social media who uh, may have businesses or operations on social media you understand that sharing is so much more effective than just the individual liking of a post um, it gets the word out to more people. And again, that knowledge and information um, is power and it is something that is sorely needed. There's so many different uh, businesses to shout out. Um, again, my focus now is about not just supporting black business, but specifically supporting black people. Uh, so proud um, of Breeze Lawn and Landscaping. Uh, you'll be and like I said, you'll be hearing about a lot of these folks here uh, moving forward. Uh, Smoothie Groove uh, over in Aiken do an incredible job. I uh, got two new restaurants opening up. Uh, basically, oh, I want to say, look, um, Broad Street and Tel is that Telfair? I forget. At any rate, um, Brunch House of Augusta, uh, Broad Street Bullies Grill, uh, both in the downtown Augusta area. If you have not uh, tried those uh, eateries, would highly recommend both. Um, not just because I know the folks who work in there, but because they really do just provide a great service. Um, just so many more people that I'm going to be shouting out here in the months and weeks to come. Uh, with that said, again, supporting black people is the movement, uh, whether you're an entrepreneur, uh, whether you are working for someone else, I want to make sure that you are equipped and uplifted, um, in this crazy world, man, in this crazy pandemic. Uh, with that said, I love you guys so much. I'm Ken Macon with making a difference. Peace and God bless. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.